Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Want to advertise on this podcast or one like it and reach a targeted and engaged audience? Go to thatcast.com to start reaching our audience. ThatCast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast Podcast Network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg, and oh boy, it's been a, a pretty busy couple of weeks down here in Corvallis. Uh, Oregon State's baseball season, as all of you know, I'm sure, ended nearly two weeks ago at the Corvallis Regional. Adley Rutschman then went number one overall in the Major League Baseball draft for the Baltimore Orioles. And Pat Casey announced a few days later that he would not be returning to his spot as head baseball coach. As I record this podcast early on a Thursday afternoon, uh, the Beavers are still looking for their next head baseball coach. I will talk about that uh, a little bit more later in the pod. But first, we're going to actually get into some football recruiting with Brendan Slaughter the managing editor of beaversedge.com. Oregon State picked up three big recruits over the weekend and is starting to put together what appears to be a really nice class heading into Jonathan Smith's second season at the helm. Uh, We're going to bring Brendan on here in just a second, but before that, I wanted to make my weekly pitch to please rate, review, and subscribe to the Beaver Buzz podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast app and thatcast.com. I've had a ton of fun doing this show for the past you know, six months or whatever it's been, and I'll try to also have a few more shows over summer break. No promises, but I'll definitely uh, try to have uh, whoever the new baseball coach is. I'll definitely try to have that person on my show sometime after the announcement's made. We can also get into some other stuff in the offseason as my schedule allows. I do have to admit, it feels uh, it feels a little weird to not be traveling to Omaha this week for the College World Series, as I have uh, as I did in 2017 and 2018. But I guess that uh, that just wasn't in the cards cards this year. Um, anyway, we got a little bit off track. So please, uh, like I said before, subscribe, rate, and review. And thanks as always for listening. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, recruiting guru Brennan Slaughter. Price Financial Group Wealth Management. Navigating through today's financial investment world can seem pretty scary. Now, here's the good news. Chuck Price, president of Price Financial Group Wealth Management, introduces a new revolutionary concept that will change how you invest now and in the future. It's called Asset Lock. Asset Lock monitors your investment accounts 24-7, 365, and alerts you when action needs to be taken. And now, Chuck Price offers Asset Lock. At Price Financial Group Wealth Management, we believe all our clients deserve to have Asset Lock monitoring their accounts. So call Chuck today or online at pfgwm.com and learn how you can get Asset Lock on your accounts today for free. Price Financial Group Wealth Management, because the smart investor knows what you don't know can hurt you. Call 503-253-3000. That's 503-253-3000. Anna Canzano hosts That Expert Show, the show you help run. Hear the top experts on a variety of topics interviewed by a top journalist. Find That Expert Show and other shows on the ThatCast Network. Visit thatcast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Research Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. 
Welcome back to the Beaver Buzz Podcast, and I'm here with Brendan Slaughter. So I guess, Brendan, let's just start with this real quickly. When did you become the head honcho over at Beaver's Edge, and, and how are things going over there on that on that site? Uh, thanks, Bob. Uh, things have been going pretty well. Uh, started over at Edge uh, towards the end of April. I've uh, been rolling now for uh, about a month and a half. Um, things have been good. Um, managing editor there now, and... Uh, yeah, lots of good recruiting stuff right now in the off season. Finished up baseball coverage and definitely looking ahead to uh, looking ahead to fall camp and spring football. Not that far away. Yeah, so I you mentioned fall camp. Does this does your promotion here? Does this mean we're going to be seeing you less often down here at fall camp in Corvallis? Are you going to have a bunch of underlings knocking out some of those practice reports for you? Or are you still going to be heading down uh, heading down my way for some fall camp here and there? Oh, I'll be in Corvallis, Bob. You can count on it. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, fall camp will be coming up soon. And, you know, uh, the schedule should work wait, uh, should work great. Uh, you know, Mitch Manji will probably be helping us out a little bit, but uh, it'll be the combination of the both of us down there for fall camp. We're, uh, we're real excited. Good deal. Well, let's uh, let's dig into some recruiting real quickly here, because last weekend it, it was certainly a big one for uh, head coach Jonathan Smith and staff. Oregon State landed three uh, junior college recruits in cornerback Nashawn Wright, linebacker Kyrie Fisher, and defensive end uh, Tavis Shippen. Wright and Fisher, if I understand correctly, should be ready to go for fall camp. Well, Shippen is a 2020 recruit. So, Brandon, looking big picture, I guess, first here before talking about each of these kids individually, how important is it uh, for Coach Smith and staff to be adding this kind of depth over the summer? Because it certainly seems like Oregon State's Pac-12 counterparts are also having a lot of success on the recruiting trail. So to me, it seems like this was a big deal to get these recruits right now. Yeah, and I think, like you said, Bob, it's coming threes. And, you know, you look back at, you know, just a couple, um, just like a week and a half prior in Oregon State landed Ben Golbranson, Cooper Darling, and Zariah Beeson, right? So they land a, a trio of high school kids. Now they wait a week and a half. And this last weekend, as you mentioned, they land three JUCO guys. And most importantly, two of those guys are going to be ready to go this season available. And you mentioned Kyrie Fisher, Nashawn Wright. Um, both those guys will be ready for fall camp. Uh, Kyrie Fisher, a guy that instantly helps that uh, inside linebacking core. You know, you've got the starters in um, Shamar Smith and Avery Roberts, most likely, but Fisher, some really nice depth behind them. Uh, and then you go to Nashawn Wright after Oregon State lost Jay Irvine in the offseason. They needed to maybe add another corner just for some size, for some depth. And they add a six foot four, 175 pounder. And Wright, you know, he's experienced, uh, had a solid track record of. Um, being recruited at a high school. And, you know, the biggest thing that I like about Wright is the six foot four frame. It, uh, Oregon State's had some mismatches size wise uh, at the cornerback position the last couple of years. And a guy like Wright will certainly help. And then moving along down to Shippen, uh, big, big guy that's going to get here in January. Um, Oregon State probably wishes he was able to play this year. 6'6, 250. Nice size for a Juco guy. Um, Oregon State had to beat out Arizona State, Utah, Oregon, Arizona. So they won a big time recruiting battle to get him. And I think he'll be a big time player come 29 or 2020. Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, all three of these guys really on paper look pretty good. And I guess we'll, we'll, start, we'll start with Wright just because he's back in the secondary. I guess we'll just kind of work back to front but you already mentioned it that six four frame which which i'm not sure uh, oregon state hasn't had a six foot four corner in a while and you know i remember speaking with a uh, new secondary coach blue adams uh back at spring i think it might have been his first availability back at spring practice i asked him what what is he like what is he looking for from defensive backs and he said 
big guys who can run. And, and just, you know, based on looking at some film and also his measurables, I think Wright could be this kind of guy. That's probably why you saw the Beavers pounce on him and land him. You know, if you and if you look at Wright's offer sheet, it's not necessarily the most impressive. There aren't a ton of big name teams on there, but still, I think there's a lot to like. And I guess what for, from that standpoint, what do you think Wright can kind of bring to the table a, as a big corner who theoretically should be able to run and match up with some of these big receivers in the Pac-12? Well, yeah, I mean, Bob, I'm sure you'll remember as well. There's, there's, whenever I've seen Oregon State this offseason go after a big, tall cornerback, I think back to that Stanford game that they played in Palo Alto last year, yeah. where the following Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever it was, I think it was Greg Burns, former cornerback coach, and Tim Tibisar, like, we've got to get bigger in the secondary after. I think it was a six, Colby Parkinson, Stanford's tight end, was six foot six, six foot seven. Jeez. JJ Arcega Whiteside as well. Yeah. Yeah. They were regularly matched up on like, you know, Sean Wilson, who's like five foot nine, Isaiah Dunn, who's just barely above six foot. Oregon State needed some guys that were a little bit taller uh, in that back line. And, you know, you look at it and, you know, Caleb Hayes is a guy that has good size. Nation Wright's a guy that has good size. Isaiah Dunn's probably the best overall corner in that group, you know, but he's still only six, you know, about six one ish. So having some size is nice. Now you know you can put right on like maybe a tight end, maybe on a, a bigger receiver, and know you'll have a little bit more uh, flexibility there. Moving on to Kyrie Fisher. He's a linebacker. I, I see him listed at 6'2", 230. I think he's somewhere around there. I know that Fisher, he signed with Arkansas out of high school but was never really able to crack the starting rotation with the Razorbacks. How do you think – Fisher is going to ultimately fit into defensive coordinator Tim Tebasar's scheme because looking at it, I think you could make the argument that linebacker is maybe one of the positions that Oregon State actually feels the best about its depth and the overall talent has. But do you think is Fisher a guy that they've targeted that they think is going to come in and be a rotation player right away this fall? Yeah, I definitely think so. You know, you look at, um, like I said earlier, you know, you probably have your starters and Avery Roberts and Shamar Smith most likely. And then you've got Isaiah Tufega and Doug Gamulau. Also, as inside linebacker, you know, presence is behind those guys. But outside of Tufega and Dumulao, you don't have another guy that has inside linebacker experience. So you throw in Kyrie Fisher, and then all of a sudden you've got three guys behind your two starters, a nice bit of depth. And the thing I like most about Kyrie Fisher is um, his size. You mentioned it, and he's a guy that just loves to hit people. He's a very physical, physical presence. His cover skills, you know, need a little bit of improvement. He's not going to be the most guy that can go out there and cover a lot of guys in space or anything. But his physicality, you know, this guy can go one-on-one -on -one with linemen. He loves to hit up front. He loves to get into the backfield. And, uh, you know, Tibisar and Coach Bray, they want those inside backers to be guys that, in their words, can push people backwards. This is a guy that fits that mold and, you know, you can you always add a physical presence who, you know, went to an SEC school out of college. Did you have you spoken with Fisher? Is it Kyrie or Kyrie? I think I saw actually, I think I heard both pronunciations while I was watching. Something. I have not spoken with him yet. We're hoping too soon. Kyrie, Kyrie. I'm sorry if I'm botching it for you there, Mr. Fisher. Hopefully we'll get that uh, squared away soon. Yeah, we'll have to get that ironed out i'm assuming by fall camp hopefully we'll be able to talk to him because like you said i think he's going to be a guy that oregon state's going to need need probably to produce right away well you look at last year and you know no disrespect but like oregon state did not have you know the lack of inside linebacker play is the reason that jalen moore led the team in tackles oregon state did not have anybody on the inside whether it was you know the lack of bodies on the defensive line inconsistent play and in the linebacker inside linebackers 
They did not have anybody in that front seven that could stop, you know, runners at the point of attack. And, you know, we can go back to Arizona State game, Arizona, Oregon, you take your pick. Oregon State needs a guy in the middle of that defense that can simply just stop the ball. And I think this is one of those guys that can do that. Well, Wright and Fisher will be here this fall to provide some immediate relief for Oregon State's defense. But probably the guy that, that was the, the headliner of all this, Tavis Shippen, he, he's going to have to wait. He won't be in Corvallis until 2020. But like you mentioned, there's a ton to like about Shippen on paper. He's got that ideal size at 6'5", anywhere from what 260 to 280. His weights yep. tend to fluctuate. And he held several Pac-12 offers. I think you already mentioned them, but I saw Arizona State, Oregon, and Utah. Shipping, he's rated as one of the top junior college recruits in all of the nation, regardless of position. So for Coach Smith and staff, I guess, just how important and how difficult do you think it'll be for, for them to hold on to this guy and make sure he ultimately does sign with Oregon State and end up in Corrales? It might be a little tough to hang on to him, you know, if depending on how the season goes, I think, um, you know, we'll, you know, as time goes on, you know, guys always guys always flip a, a verbal commit is just that a verbal commit. So you never know with with uh, guys that aren't, you know, coming in for a little while. But when you look at a guy like Shippen, um, Oregon State was a guy that was on him early um, and you got to give him credit if Jonathan Smith and Oregon State can you know, beat the likes of Arizona State, Arizona, Utah, Oregon out for a guy, that means that your program's trending in the right direction. You know, Oregon State clearly got a lot of work ahead of them to start building this program up, but a good start in the right direction is winning some recruiting battles against fellow Pac-12 schools. And that's where, like you said, Bob, hanging on to Shippen's going to be huge because he was a guy that was valued by at least other uh, half the other programs in the conference. Yeah, and I mean, it's not just the fact that he's a highly rated recruit with other Pac-12 offers. You want as many of those guys as you can get, obviously. Right. But to me, the the big thing is the position he plays. He's a lineman. And quite frankly, I think the last few years, Oregon State on both lines really just hasn't yeah. had a ton of Pac-12 caliber players. And adding depth and guys with the, the pedigree that Shippen has on the defensive line, I just think that's invaluable for the program because it's just very obvious that Oregon State is not going to turn this thing around until the defensive line gets beefed up. And Shippen seems to be a clear upgrade there. So it's, I mean, he really is. He's Maybe is this the biggest recruit Jonathan Smith has landed so far? That might be a bit of a stretch, but I think you could make that argument, couldn't you? Yeah, a case could be made for sure. Um, I'm trying to think, go back and look. Um, you know, I think that when he came in, I think uh, even though he hasn't, you know, gotten on the field yet, I think defensively, Jeremy Reichner was a really mm -hmm. big recruit when they got him. Um, Obviously, in this class, uh, Ben Goldbranson and Cooper Darling and Zariah Beeson, really good high school guys. But there's a case that I think Shippen and Reichner are probably right there at the top for one of the better defenders that Smith has recruited and most definitely top two or three in JUCO defenders that you've gotten. And, you know, you look at Jonathan Smith, he said to us plenty of times, you know, he doesn't want to fully go down the JUCO route because it can kind of hamstring your program in terms of development. He was going to use it selectively. And now we're now we're seeing, you know, if you add in the right mix of Juco guys at the right time with the solid incoming high school class, that's how you, you know, speed up a rebuild real quick. You mentioned him earlier, Zariah Beeson. He's a wide receiver from Texas that committed to Oregon State, I think late in late May. And he's rated a 
four-star recruit yep. by some publications. He's clearly the exact type of playmaker that Oregon State really wants on the outside in Brian Lindgren and Coach Jonathan Smith's scheme. I, what, how did Oregon State end up with this kid from Texas? I mean, do you think and do you think the Beavers are, are likely to hold on to him? Because if you look at his offer sheet, it, a lot of really, really big-time programs are after him. Like what Utah, Arizona State, Arkansas, I believe he even had an LSU offer. I mean, just what, what kind of player do you think the Beavers are going to get in Beeson? Mm, they're getting a big time baller right here. Um, you know, I don't use that use that term very often, but um, Beeson is a guy that Oregon State, in my professional opinion, is going to hold on to just because of the connections. Beeson, since he committed, has been has come back to Oregon State. He's been trying to recruit other kids in the 2020 class. Um, uh, I forget exactly how the connection took place, but he's got a um, a relationship with Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks kind of recommended that. I wouldn't not even so much recommended, but kind of told him his story of how if you go to Oregon State as a talented kid, it's a great place to focus on school, focus on your job. There's not a lot of distractions. And I think Beeson kind of fell in love with that. You know, he looks up to Brandon Cooks and um, they've got a uh, uh, relationship. And I think that ended up being a big ploy is that, you know, you see a guy like Brandon Cooks come out of Oregon State and, you know, be able to tell his story of where he is now and, um you know, Beeson's a, a guy from Texas. You don't see Oregon State, you know, getting a ton of guys from Texas. But, you know, he's really tried to help beef up the 2020 class. He seems like he's all in. He's come back on a on a visit since his commitment. So uh, I would say the Beavers are pretty locked in with Beeson. He's definitely a, a found out, foundational piece of this class. No, he certainly sounds like he is. And the three kids we were talking about earlier, and Wright, Fisher, and Chip, and I think you could make the argument that all three of those guys, just yep. because – their junior college kids are, are also could be foundational pieces as well. And specifically with the three junior college kids, the Beavers just landed. Do you think it's not a coincidence that all three of those players are on the defensive side of the ball, right? Because it's no secret. Oregon state's defense did not play well last year and adding depth. Everyone knew that the Beavers would try to do that, but I mean, it, it, it goes, it, it's pretty obvious, right? That the coaching staff decide to target, the junior co- some junior college kids to add depth to the defense. I mean, that, that's clearly what happened here, right? Oh, most definitely. I mean, Bob, I think you were nice. You said Oregon State's defense was not good. <laughs> I think that's, um, you know, it's a new season, thankfully, and, you know, you only look forward, right, in football, not backwards. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. Oregon State's defense, that's just kind of a year that you would like to just tear the page out of the history book, right? Just a year that no one wants to talk about. So what has Oregon State done in the meantime? They've hit the ground running and the recruiting trail doing basically everything that they can to, you know, build up the program. Obviously, with recruiting, it takes more time with high school guys to develop, build relationships, get the right guys. But when you get JUCO guys, that instantly adds guys that are experienced, have some moxie and have a little something to prove. And that's where I look at these three guys, and they're all on the defensive end. Two of them are eligible this season. So we're at, you know, Oregon State's asking two guys, you know, to be ready to go this season. And like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Wright and Fisher have huge, huge roles on a vastly improved defense because cornerback, linebacker, defensive line, the Beavers got a heavy influx of bodies and talent. It still might be, you know, not the most finished product on the field. But, Bob, I don't think there's any any uh, disagreements that they're not going to be as bad as they were a year ago. And, you know, to me, it seems like all of these recent additions are are they're even bigger because the Oregon State's coming off of what was 
I'd say a, a pretty disappointing recruiting period overall. You know, the Beavers missed out on, on some of their top quarterback prospects before ultimately landing mm-hmm. uh, Ben Goldbrinson from Southern California, like you mentioned. Yep. But then also two of the best in-state kids, Jesuit linebacker Andy Alfieri and Lake Oswego wide receiver running back Casey Filkins. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Oregon State really pursued both of them and they committed to Cal you know, sometime last month. And I think that was a major, major blow to the program. So to me, it felt like the Beavers really needed a win on the recruiting trail. And to me, it's obvious in the last few weeks they, they've gotten a couple. Yeah, no, and you mentioned Cal, and you know you got to give credit, you know, got to give credit where credit's due, and you know, obviously Wilcox, being an Oregon guy, very local, you know, knows about it, and you know, I got to, you know, you look at those two guys that you mentioned, and at this point, you know, if Oregon State was maybe a year further down the road in the Jonathan Smith rebuild, you know, maybe they land those guys. You know, you look at Cal, and they're a, you know, the Wilcox rebuild is about a year ahead, maybe a little bit more than the Jonathan Smith one, and. You know, uh, it's it's tough when you can't keep those kids in state because Oregon is a, a state as a whole that, as you know, is only going to produce so many, you know, a very limited number of guys that can be impactful at the Division One level. And uh, you usually want to try to lock those guys down. I can't imagine that the Oregon State coaching staff is going to just throw in the towel on Alfieri and Filkins at this point. Do you do you think I mean, Alfieri is a bit of a legacy kid, too. I think his brother is still in the football is on the team and he has another brother around the football program. Filkins, I'm not sure if there is a connection there at all. But do you think the coaching staff is still going to continue to recruit these kids? Right. Do you think there is still a chance maybe one of them could flip to Oregon State later on if the Beavers do, you know, put five or six wins together? anything's possible, Bob. I mean, you look at uh, Ben Goldbranson, you know, he was committed to Cal for a little while before, you know, he ended up committing to Oregon State. He had a Cal commitment in his history and, you know, um, guys flip, you know, things happen, things happen over the course of a season. And, you know, you look at guys right now where you're recruiting kids and a lot of kids will give you their verbals before the season starts. And then you'll see how the season goes for the team. Is the team showing the recruit, you know, you know, why he'd fit well in their team is the recruit liking, you know, is he, um, what the coach told him is he's seeing that on the field on TV, all those little things, you know, things always change. I would say the fact that they're Oregon kids if Oregon state got a little momentum early in the season. Um, you never know. I think coach Smith and his staff will stay on them. They're local. They're going to keep tabs on Oregon state and they've got time, you know, it's still early in the process for those 2020 kids. About a month or so ago, I know Jonathan Smith told my colleague Nick Dashel from the Oregonian that you know he wasn't that into social media just overall <laughs> and also from a recruiting standpoint, and that caused a lot of there was a lot of hubbub about that. <laughs> and you know we we saw a, a bit of a Twitter renaissance then from Coach Smith over the past week plus. He's been a little bit more active and made a couple <laughs> jokes out there. You follow Brandon recruiting a lot a lot closer than I do. So in your opinion. Is that is this that big of a deal overall, I guess? Is it really that important for Jonathan Smith to be a social media savvy guy, you know, as long as other people on the staff and in the program are? Is that a, is that is Jonathan Smith's social media use? Is that really that big of a deal? I'm going to give you the millennial answer here, Bob. It <laughs> is. It is very important. And, you know, everyone's got their opinion on it, but I think it's huge. You know, um, I'm not saying Coach Smith, you know, uh, what he's doing right now is almost a perfect amount of social media and you look at you look at um uh when jonathan smith is on social media and trying to get you know kids involved kids recruited a lot of the big time coaches you know whether it's chris peterson he's one of them that i really like you know very limited twitter use but every time you know washington's near a commit he tweets woof 
right? Or wolf times two or whatever it is, right? And recruits love it. They love to see a coach that can get on social media, have a little bit of edginess to him because, you know, nowadays you look at all these recruits, they're living on social media, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Instagram, whether it's, you know, who knows what it is, but, you know, that's a big part of recruiting now and, you know, showing, um, Jonathan Smith showing his recruits that, you know, he's got a little bit of a, a savvy Twitter presence. I kind of liked uh, that his first tweet was something like, I forgot my password with a winky face and then threw out damn right three times. And yeah, you know, that was, that was yeah, funny. I like yeah, that. That's, that's awesome. And that's the thing that like for 18 to 22 year old kids or even younger, if Oregon State's recruiting further, like 16, 22 year old kids, they like that. That's cool. When they see a coach that's in his, you know, 40s, that is, on social media, on Twitter, they're like, okay, yeah, this is a guy that's unique. I'm not saying it's a deal breaker because obviously Coach Smith, low ego, high output, old school guy, but you want to incorporate some of those things so that you're not, you know, completely in the dark with social media because, you know, whether you like it, embrace it, don't embrace it. Social media is a huge part of college recruiting now. No, it, it certainly is, and I think it's very important that Coach Smith and all members of the staff are on Definitely. social media and following it and, and at least you know being a part of the conversation there. But I also do think it is important to note that it, for Coach Smith and for the Oregon State program, you know, they're never going to be falling in tons of four- and five-star recruits right. and doing all that kind of stuff. So it is important, I think, for Coach Smith to be as authentic as possible because selling authenticity, I do think, works. And there's a certain segment of the population that will really buy into that. So I do think it's a bit of a balancing act for Coach Smith where if, he's, if he personally doesn't like care for – if he doesn't you know, personally like social media that much or want to be on it, I think that's okay. But, you know, he does – there – we live in 2019. The yep. Young kids, like you said, are all over it. So it certainly is important for Coach Smith to have a presence on social media. But I think maybe a little bit too much is, has been made about the fact that, oh, Oregon State's living in the Stone Age. They don't know what they're doing. I, I think yeah. that's probably a little unfair. No, I think that is, too. I think that's a bit of a stretch. You know, obviously, or, you know, I mean, everybody's going to handle things a little bit differently. You know, you know, some schools are super, super big into social media and some are a little bit on the lesser side, not saying one is right or wrong. I think, like you said, the important thing is just having a presence and having a consistent presence and you are good in what you are. You don't have to be rah, rah, tweeting, you know, whatever it is 10 times a day, but like the subtleness of coach Smith, that's perfect for what Oregon state needs. You know, the other assistants are on, um, social media quite a bit. You know, you look at, uh, whether it's, you know, tweeting out where they're going on the road for recruiting or tweeting out like, you know, highlight videos or whatever it is. The other coaches are pretty active on social media, but then when you're able to put the bow on it and have Coach Smith kind of unofficially announce that they've secured guys, that things are moving the right direction, that creates a buzz and excitement around the program that Oregon State needs right now. All right. Well, fall camp finally begins in what, six, six or seven weeks here. So yeah. I'm going to put you I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me one big prediction that will for just for fall camp as a whole. It can be anything except I'm going to ask you to leave the quarterbacks out of it because we've talked about them enough. And if you want to take a little bit of time to think about what your one big prediction for fall camp is, uh, I'm happy to go first. Or if you've got something for me and you want to go right now, uh, feel free to go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, I'm, I'm going to say I think the offensive line looks completely different in fall camp okay. in, a, in a good way. Um, now that. Oregon State's got Nathan Eldridge, Arizona transfer, grad transfer, 
on the roster. They completely, you know, they pretty much have their starting five set with Blake Brandle, Gus Lavaca, Eldridge, uh, Brandon Kipper, and Clay Cordasco. The group, you know, as we, uh, was a little inconsistent, to put it lightly, in, in the spring, you know, they were kind of playing some patchwork at center spot. Um, but now that they've got Eldridge, I really look for the offensive line to kind of take a step forward in, in fall camp. They really got, you know, they got pushed around a little bit by the defensive line in, in spring. And I think Coach Mahalchuk's going to have him ready to go. And I think Eldridge is the real deal. And I think he'll really anchor down that line. And the Oregon State offensive line will look real good by fall camp. I think that's a good prediction, and I totally get where you're coming from. I specifically think that the left side of the offensive line is very solid. And I think we also know that in terms of run blocking, Oregon State has proven it can run the football with its running backs and its line. How do you think, How overall, what do you think of the this group's ability to pass protect? Because certainly the quarterback, whether it was Jake Luton or Connor Blount, got, got hit a lot last year. So how, how do you think this line will ultimately be able to protect the quarterback, whether it's, you know, Jake Luton or Tristan Jebbia? You know, that's, 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 that is a big question mark. You know, you look at Oregon state sacks, sacks, sacks have been the problem the last couple of years. And, you know, last year, Oregon state was either led the nation in sacks or was second to second to highest. And, you know, you look and it wasn't a surprise that Jake Luton and Connor Blount both spent time with the injury last year. Um, you know, if you're getting hit and you're getting sacked that many times, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, Tom Brady or Jake Luton, you're not going to feel good the next day and it's going to be pretty hard to get anything consistently going. So that's a big, big, you know, a big thing. And we talked about it in spring, you know, um, uh, offensive coordinator Brian Lindgren, you know, he mentioned it to us a few times with Coach Mahalchek that the Beavers simply have to be better at protecting the quarterback and that. You know, some of those sacks were on the quarterback for not getting rid of the ball. Some of them were on the offensive line. Some of them were, you know, a combination of the both. But I look for things to be more on the same page this year. All these guys are second years in the system now. A lot of those little mistakes should probably start to disappear. And, you know, uh, I think um, that it's – I really do. I think they're going to have protect the quarterback a little bit better. Um, I think it helps that um, they play a team, you know, a couple teams early. Oklahoma State, more of an offensive threat than a defensive threat. So I think that'll help them early. And then, um, you know, they'll, they'll get some, they'll face some bigger teams, with more imposing defensive lines as the year goes along. But I think the, the, the template and the group is in place. They need to grow as the season goes along. But I like the group of five right now if they can stay healthy. Well, so Brendan, Brendan's prediction, he's got pretty good news for you guys on the offensive line. And I'm going to actually go ahead and with a, with a positive prediction as well. And for me, it's that I think the secondary is actually going to be a little bit better than a lot of people are anticipating. And just looking at the safety position first, I think that has a chance to be one of the best areas of Oregon State's roster. Just looking at the returning pieces back in a Jayla Moore David Morris, Jeffrey Manning, Omar Hicks, Onu, Trajan Cotton. I mean, this is a pretty experienced, deep group that I I think can gel and give the Beavers a lot of options back there. Now, there have been an injury concern here or there with a couple of those guys. So health will certainly play a role in this. But you know what? It's football. Injuries happen all the time. And then cornerback is obviously a bigger question mark. I think a lot of people feel it might be the biggest question mark on the entire roster. But still, there are some pieces to like there that we've mentioned, I think, earlier in this podcast. Isaiah Dunn, Caleb Hayes, 
Jaden Grant, Jaden Robinson, and we do, and we were talking about uh, newcomer Nishan Wright earlier. And for me, I've been really impressed with new secondary coach Blue Adams. I just I think he has a good mindset. I think he's a good teacher. And from what I've seen, I think he's going to really get a lot out of this group. So I guess my bull prediction will be that Oregon State secondary is going to look a lot better at the end of fall camp. Now, will the Beavers still give up yards to the air? It, it, it certainly could happen. And a lot of that will be a function of what type of pass rush can Oregon State get. But in terms of the secondary as a whole, I actually think the Beavers are going to be all right back there. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a really, really good pick, Bob. You know, you look and, you know, across the board, you know, you look and Oregon State, now that they've, you know, they've got a lot of returners back. Most everybody that played last year is back. So you have the advantage of having a lot of, you know, uh, chemistry and familiarity. And the thing that kind of gives me the little boost up is that they have all these guys back, didn't graduate a lot, and then they add, they addressed a lot of issues of need. You know, they added bodies on the line. They added some guys in the linebacking core, added Nashawn Wright and um, offensive line. They, they filled out the end of their piece. They're really stacked at running back, stacked at receiver, you know, quarterback play to be determined. But, you know, on paper, you know, you're looking and like, okay, Oregon State should be much better than they were last year. And, you know, after just a year, that would be a big step in the right direction. Things are looking up, and now we just have to see if it transpires that way on the football field. All right. Last question for you, Brendan. I saw that the week one college football lines came out not that long ago. Oregon State is catching more than two touchdowns at home against Oklahoma State. What were your initial thoughts of that line? And if you had to make a play either way, which uh, which side would you go with that? I think you've already got on record saying that you like Oregon State in that game, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I still think that I, I, I you know, as time goes closer, uh, I, I said a while ago that I thought uh, Oregon State would have a, a, a chance, you know, Friday night, home opener, under the radar, went 2-10 and ten a year ago, not a lot of expectations. So anything can happen, but I also, from the odds makers' perspective, uh, completely understand where the spread is. And you know, Oklahoma State is Oklahoma State. They've got Mike Gundy, they've got his mullet, and they've got a lot of <laughs> offense. So uh, you know, the nice thing is, is or- I I think it could be a, a fun game because um, Oklahoma State's breaking in a brand new quarterback this year. They're breaking in a new offensive coordinator, and the Big Twelve is known for their offense as opposed to their defense. So. With that being said, Oregon State's offense has got, you know, a lot of veterans and a lot of weapons. And I could see Oregon State and Oklahoma State getting into a shootout, um, in which case, you know, based on experience, you know, that's where it maybe favors Oklahoma State. But, um, yeah, no, that first game should be exciting. And I think that line might get down to more like maybe 10, a little bit less, maybe even single digits by the time, you know, the game comes around. But, you know, I'm not I wasn't too shocked at the line. No, I, I wasn't either. I think, you know, o- Oklahoma State certainly has to replace some pieces. But look, Oregon State's only what, won, what, seven games over the last four years. So yep. I, I, I think it's I think it's a fair line. And guess what? I think I agree with you. I think it's going to be a really, really exciting week one football game at Research Stadium. Definitely. Brandon, thanks so much for uh, for hopping back on the podcast. We'll have to do this again, maybe right around the start of fall camp. Yeah, anytime, Bob. Uh, appreciate it as always. And uh, always fun to jump on with you. Yeah, best of luck with Edge. Thanks, Bob. Want to grow your money and avoid pitfalls in financial planning? Check out Chuck Price and Investing Simplified. Find it and other shows on the ThatCast Network. ThatCast.com From Guild Coliseum to Research Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. All right, that is enough football for now. Time for a little baseball talk to wrap up this week's edition of the show. 
I'm not going to spend too much time on the Corvallis Regional because that is definitely old news by now. The Beavers went 0-2 at home and, quite frankly, didn't look particularly good doing it. It, it, was, uh, it was a bad ending to what was overall a pretty good season under interim head coach Pat Bailey. We then got the coaching news last Thursday that Pat Casey would not be coming back and to be honest, it did stun me. Everyone I talked to thought Casey was coming back. So I was kind of waiting just along with everyone else sometime after the postseason for the announcement to come out that Pat Casey would be returning as head coach. But that didn't happen. And uh, by that evening, by Thursday evening, I could already tell that the search was, uh, was going to get pretty interesting. Here's what I can tell you at this point. It appears that two candidates have a lot of support among former players. The younger generation of guys, the players from the last decade or so, uh, primarily seem to be supporting pitching coach Nate Yeske to, to get the head coaching job. The older generation, a lot of the guys who won the back-to-back national titles in 2006 and 2007, are largely behind Mitch Canham, a former Oregon State catcher who is now managing in AAA. At this point, there does not appear to be a ton of support out there for Bailey. And I'm sure there are also other candidates out there that the search committee is looking at. But I'm just going to focus on Yeski, Canham, and Bailey because I just don't really see Athletic Director Scott Barnes going outside for this hire. And quite frankly, I don't think he should. Starting first with Bailey, he, he's obviously a tremendous baseball mind and is very well respected by all, all kinds of people in the Pacific Northwest. But to be fair, he, he's, he's a little older at 63. And look, the Oregon State team in 2019 just didn't play with the same level of energy on a game-to-game basis throughout really the entire season. And, you know, it, I think some of that is certainly on the players, but also part of that is on the leadership. And I, I have to admit, I do find it telling from the players I've spoken to and also people that have come out on social media that there just hasn't been an outcry of support for Bailey among these players. So I have to admit, I do find that a little bit telling. Looking at Canham, he's a guy that certainly makes a ton of sense just looking at it on paper. He was a great player for the Beavers in the mid-2000s, a first-round draft pick by the San Diego Padres, and he's been coaching now for a while now in pro ball. He's really young. He doesn't turn 35 until September, and he is a loyal Oregon State person. He is a beef through and through. But when looking at Canham, he has no college coaching experience, so we don't know how he would recruit, and he's also not as connected to the current generation of guys uh, as much as someone like Nate Yeski, who I will say is the man that I personally would hire for this job. Yeski in my eyes, is actually the perfect candidate here. He's ideal age, a tremendous experience. For By all accounts, he's a fantastic recruiter as well. And anyone can look at what he's done with the pitching staff and just how good Oregon State is year after year. Looking at 2019 specifically, Oregon State still finished second in the country in Team ERA despite injuries just 
uh, you know, multiple key injuries on the staff. And you also have to look with Nate Yeske. I think he just has ideal temperament and intelligence. For me, he's just the complete package to run this program. And in fairness, no, he doesn't have any head coaching experience, and he's not an Oregon State graduate. But but you know he's so plugged into the Corvallis community now, and in the eyes of many, he's become an honorary Beaver. I've never heard a single bad word about Yeski from a former or current player, and I mean not a single bad word. He's he's revered by his players, and is also a very fiery competitor, much like Casey. To me, uh, yeah, so. To, to me, Yeski is just, you know, the clear choice here. I, I have no idea what Scott Barnes is ultimately going to do. I saw that Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball reported that Yeski and Bailey uh, interviewed for the job earlier this week. Well, Canham was set to interview on Thursday. To me, the hire absolutely has to come out of this group, and I really do think it's going to. I, I don't know where Pat Casey stands yet in all of this because I'm sure that he feels a little conflicted because of his loyalty to all three of these guys. Casey is not on the official search committee, but he obviously is going to have input in this decision. U- ultimately, this is just a, an enormous hire for what is Oregon State's most successful athletic program. The Beavers have won three baseball national titles in the past decade plus. And just, I guess, take a second to think about just how absurd that is. You know, a, a cold weather, rainy school found a way to compete with college baseball titans in Southern California and Arizona and beyond. And the Beavers have actually surpassed them. I mean, it truly is just, it truly is incredible. And I think if Barnes makes the wrong hire here, or Oregon State baseball could very quickly revert back to a middle of the road program. I mean, Pat Casey built this thing. And I believe it's important to have an insider take it over for that exact reason. And for me, that that choice should be Nate Yeski. So we'll have to wait and see what what happens and what decisions Scott Barnes makes. But I don't think it's overstating to say that this is going to be one of the biggest decisions Scott Barnes makes during his time at Oregon State. And other than hiring football coach Jonathan Smith, it's possible it will be the biggest. That will do it for this week's edition of the Beaver Buzz Podcast part of the that cast podcast network please subscribe rate and review and i will be back uh with another show after oregon state's new head baseball coach is announced it might be might be sometime late next week we might have to wait until the following week scott barnes on the timeline you said you hope to have it done within a couple of weeks but you know sometimes these things take more time than people realize so until then, have a terrific weekend, everyone. And as always, thanks again for uh, for listening to the Beaver Buzz podcast. Discover the growing lineup of ThatCast Network podcasts and videocasts at thatcast.com.